my thumbs. Something wicked this way comes. <laughs> hey there, shadowy sleuths. Today we continue our tribute to spooky season. You know, when shadows grow long and whispers of the unknown echo through the night. I'm Tasha Pierce, your host, and welcome back to Sinister Silhouettes. So gather all around y'all for another tale that's going to send a shudder down your spine as we dive into the origins of a sinister Halloween legend. One that's haunted parents for decades. The fear that our innocent little ghouls and goblins sweet Halloween treats may hold a dark and deadly secret. As we begin to unravel the origins of the poisoned Halloween candy fear, remember that sometimes a seemingly insignificant event can have far-reaching consequences. In the heart of the 1960s, a time of social change and shifting norms, a seemingly innocuous incident took place in New York that would have far-reaching consequences. Helen Field, a resident of a quiet suburban neighborhood, became an unwitting pioneer of the Halloween candy fear. In 1964, she decided to hand out what can only be described as bizarre treats to unsuspecting trick-or-treaters. Instead of the expected candy bars and sugary sweets, she filled their goodie bags with steel wool, dog biscuits, and even ant bait. And this was a Halloween prank that would go down in infamy. The media, still the media, even in 1964, media gone media. And they were always hungry for sensational stories. They seized upon Helen's peculiar Halloween handouts. The press jumped on the story like a ravenous werewolf during a blood moon. Headlines screamed of dangerous treats and concerned parents began to panic. Overnight, what had been an outwardly harmless print became a full-blown media frenzy. The initial concerns it created were like wildfire, spreading fear throughout the nation. Now let's think about that for a second. 1964 media frenzy is nothing like a 2023 media frenzy. This story went nationwide in 1964. Just sit on that for a second, let it breathe. Because the fallout from uh, Helen's little stunt was more profound than anyone could have predicted. It laid the foundation for the future Halloween candy fears that continue to haunt us to this day. Parents already anxious about the safety of their children on Halloween night now had a new specter to contend with. The fear that strangers might intentionally harm their little goblins with tampered treats. Her little prank, Helen's that is, seemingly harmless, inadvertently set the stage for a pervasive and lasting urban legend. Statistics and studies have consistently debunked this myth, reassuring parents and caretakers that their little trick-or-treaters are safer than they might think. Research conducted over the years has revealed that cases of actual Halloween candy tampering are exceedingly rare. In fact, the likelihood of a child receiving tainted candy from a stranger is statistically negligible. The rarity of real cases stands in stark contrast to the prevalence of the fear itself. Every year, concerned parents across the country check and recheck their children's candy halls, fearing the worst. I've seen parents even take their candy to the hospital emergency room to have it go through x-ray just to ensure that their children are getting safe treats from their neighbors. 
Yet the truth is that the vast majority of Halloween treats are perfectly safe. So why does this myth persist? Well, here's where the role of media sensationalism comes into play. The over-dramatized nature of stories about Halloween candy tampering sales. Simple-ish. Media outlets know that tales of danger and intrigue capture our attention like nothing else if it bleeds it lead. As a result, they tend to emphasize isolated incidents, even if they are so rare, making them seem far more common than they really are. Remember, always remember, our mantra over here is believe half of what you see, none of what you hear, but still use common sense. These scandalous stories, shared and amplified by 24-hour news cycle and social media, feed our anxieties and perpetuate the illusion. They leave an unforgettable mark on our collective consciousness, reinforcing the belief that trick-or-treating is a dangerous gamble. But then, even from all of the safety that studies have shown we have, there are outliers. There are anomalies. There is that one in a million case of an unsuspecting child expecting a sweet treat only to receive a sinister trick. Today, I'll share with you one of the most infamous cases of candy tampering of all time. In the fall of 1974, in the quiet town of Deer Park, Texas, the O'Brien family was like any other. Timothy O'Brien, an eight-year-old boy with dreams as big as the Texas sky, was looking forward to Halloween night. He was excited to don his favorite costume and venture into the neighborhood for a night of trick-or-treating. His eyes gleamed with anticipation. Timothy's family consisted of his parents, Ronald and Danine, and his sister Elizabeth. They all appeared to be a loving and ordinary bunch. Ronald, Timothy's dad, worked as an optician and was the deacon of Second Baptist Church where the family faithfully attended services. Danine, in line with the times, was a homemaker. They were a typical American family with typical children who were super excited for October 31st. Halloween was always a time for family fun, a chance to bond over costumes, laughter, and lots of candy. Lots and lots of candy. Who knew? The night of October 31st, 1974, would turn into a nightmarish tragedy. On that rainy Halloween evening, Ronald O'Brien took his two children, Timothy and Elizabeth, along with their neighbor and his two children, out for a round of trick-or-treating in a Pasadena, Texas neighborhood. During their quest for sweets, they encountered a house where no one answered the door, leading the impatient children to dash ahead to the next one while Ronald remained behind. Now, when he eventually caught up with the group, he presented them with five 21-inch pixie sticks, claiming the homeowner of the house they initially bypassed had finally come to the door. Now, just in case you are unaware of what a pixie stick is, they are a sweet and sour powdered candy that comes in a wrapper that looks like a drinking straw. I used to love the small ones as a child because the sugar in those long ones, like the ones Ronald had, always got stuck in the plastic. But anywho, as the night concluded, Ronald divided these pixie sticks, giving two to his neighbor's children and one each to Timothy and Elizabeth. He handed the fifth one to a 10-year-old boy that he recognized from their church. So upon returning home, Timothy 
expressed a desire to savor some of that hard-earned candy he'd collected during their Halloween adventure. You know, most parents would be like, nope, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow after school or, you know, sometime later, you're not going to bed with candy. But the family said, you know what, you can have one candy. And Ronald recalled that Timothy selected a pixie stick. However, the powdered candy was proving difficult to extract from the straw what made me hate those long ones. So Ronald assisted his son by loosening the powder up. Now, after tasting the candy, Timothy grimaced and complained of a bitter taste. To alleviate this, Ronald offered him a glass of Kool-Aid in an attempt to wash away the unpleasant flavor. So Timothy, at this point, probably felt like he was winning. You got a big tube of freaking sugar to go to bed on and a cup of Kool-Aid. Wow. Sadly, Timothy's discomfort escalated quickly. He began to complain of a severe stomach pain and promptly rushed to the bathroom where he started to vomit and experience convulsions. In an agonizing moment, Ronald held his son as he vomited, but Timothy soon became unresponsive, left in his father's arms. Tragically, Timothy O'Brien passed away while he was being rushed to the hospital less than an hour after consuming the very candy he eagerly awaited. It had become his bitter end. Now, news of this horrifying incident spread like wildfire through the community and far beyond. Parents were gripped by an overwhelming fear that their children's Halloween treats could also be laced with poison. The tragedy of Timothy O'Brien's death was a nightmare come to life, a stark reminder of the unthinkable lurking behind the guise of innocence. As the news of Timothy O'Brien's death continued to send shockwaves through Deer Park, Texas, law enforcement launched an intensive investigation into the tragic Halloween night that had turned into a horrible nightmare. The police were determined to uncover the truth behind the young boy's poison. Initially, Law enforcement didn't suspect Ronald O'Brien of any wrongdoing. It wasn't until Timothy's autopsy results emerged, revealing a fatal dose of potassium cyanide in the pixie stick he had consumed, that the dreadful truth began to surface. Authorities recovered four of the five pixie sticks O'Brien claimed to have received from the other children, none of whom had ingested the deadly candy. The parents of the fifth child, however, were plunged into hysteria when they could not find the candy only to discover their sleeping son clutching the unopened, sealed pixie stick. It had proven too difficult for the child to get open, an obstacle that saved his life. Investigators learned all five pixie sticks had been previously opened. Two inches from the top of each one was refilled with cyanide powder and meticulously resealed with a staple. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Ronald O'Brien initially claimed he couldn't remember which house he got the pixie sticks from, but suspicions were mounting. O'Brien and his neighbor had limited their Halloween rounds to just two streets due to the rain, remember the rain? And none of the homes they visited had distributed pixie sticks. So after multiple neighborhood walks with the police, O'Brien eventually led them to the house where no one had answered the door. He recounted receiving the pixie sticks from an anonymous homeowner who had only extended an arm with the candy. That sounds like some sinister shit. 
The owner of that home, however, Courtney Melvin, an air traffic controller at Hobby Airport, was quickly ruled out as a suspect when his alibi of being at work on Halloween night was corroborated by over 200 people. Where'd you get the candy, Ronald? If Courtney Melvin was out at Hobby Airport directing planes here and there, where, where, did, where did you get this candy, Ronald? As the investigation deepened, a grim portrait of Ronald O'Brien began to emerge. First, investigators learned the family was so swimming in debt. In fact, over $100,000 of debt, which is the equivalent of just under a million dollars in today's money. Compounding the issue, Ronald had a history of job instability, having held 21 jobs in the decade preceding the crime. This during a time where most people will hold on to a job for 25 years and retire. Things were going that good in the U.S. economy at the time, and job stability was almost a guarantee if you were a good worker. Well, guess that Ronald wasn't a good worker. So at the time of Timothy's death, his dad faced suspicions of theft at his workplace and was on the brink of losing yet another job. Yep, those financial woes were extensive with a pending car repossession, defaulted bank loans, and a foreclosed family home. Police uncovered that O'Brien had taken out life insurance policies on his children just before that fateful Halloween. That's never good, right? Never good, especially if you take out uh, life insurance policies, like extensive ones, big ones, on children. Those policies that he took out on his children held a total value of approximately $60,000, which is a half million dollars, like $576,000 plus today. Suspicion mounted more when it was revealed that O'Brien had visited a chemical supply store in Houston, contemplating the purchase of some cyanide. Shortly before Halloween, the theory emerged that Ronald O'Brien had poisoned the candies with the intention of killing his children to cash in on the life insurance policy. And he went as far as to give other children poison candy in order to cover up his sinister scheme. Of course, he steadfastly uh, maintained his innocence, but with stacks of evidence against him piling up, it became harder and harder to believe his innocence. The truth eventually came to light, and when it did, the community was left in disbelief. The idea that a parent could be capable of such a heinous act was incomprehensible. Ronald O'Brien's actions went against everything society held dear, shattering the trust their parents placed in one another. The case of Ronald O'Brien went to trial, and he was subsequently convicted of capital murder in May of 1975. His sentence was swift and just. The death penalty. Timothy's father was executed by lethal injection on March 31st, 1984 because back then justice again was swift with no waiting around you went be on death row for, for 20 years nope less than 10 years later they got him out of here you're out anywho the impact of this case on the halloween candy fear myth was profound while the actual cases of halloween candy tampering remained rare the o'brien case showed that danger could come from within from someone trusted, and that even those seemingly safest environments could hide terrible secrets. 
This ordinary looking family was shattered by the greed of the father figure in the home. Believe half of what you see, none of what you hear. Ooh. This case added a layer of complexity to the fear, making it harder for parents to discern the real threats from the imagined. The sinister story of the man who killed Halloween left a mark on society. The fear that Halloween treats could be tampered with has persisted, becoming deeply ingrained in our collective consciousness. Parents, both in Deer Park and across the nation, were forever changed by the haunting tragedy that unfolded in 1974, and of course by Helen Fields' little prank 10 years earlier, and in its aftermath, they began to take extensive precautions to safeguard their little ones on Halloween night. In response to this fear, Halloween traditions underwent a transformation. Gone were the days when children could freely devour their sugary loot without a second thought. Parents, in a bid to protect their young ghouls and goblins, began scrutinizing their children's candy halls with unwavering vigilance. Homemade treats were a no-no and were cast aside in favor of pre-packaged candies and tamper-proof packaging became the gold standard. I can remember being a young one and getting apples, getting kind of fruit, stuff that was kind of healthy for you, and that shit got thrown in the garbage, baby. <laughs> we could eat that. So, yes, things changed after the incidents that we spoke of today. Trick-or-treating has since then even evolved. Communities organized trunk-or-treat events where children collect candy from the safety of parked cars. Some families opt for organized parties or for well-lit and supervised alternatives to traditional door-to-door -door trick or treating like maybe a celebration at school or at church or at the apartment complexes that are in the community. Those kinds of things have seemed to be a little bit safer than just going door-to-door -door and getting candy random. The era of neighbors handing out homemade goodies like yeah, was replaced by sealed store-bought candies to allay parental fears. You even are seeing that happen at the schools for birthdays and Christmas when parents want to bring treats. They have to be packaged now. They have to be sealed. It can't be something that you made at the crib. <laughs> Anywho, yet amidst the fear, lessons were learned. This myth still persists, but the hard truth is that these incidents are again very rare. The Timothy O'Brien case stands as a grim outlier, not the norm. Halloween is a time for fun, imagination, and delight. So we remember that the heart of the holiday is this sharing these joys, not dwelling on fear. So as we prepare for another Halloween season, let us heed these lessons that we learn. Vigilance is crucial, but we shouldn't let fear overshadow the joy, the fun of the occasion. Of course, parents should inspect candy, looking for anything that appears to be tampered with, such as open wrappers or holes in the candy. Throw away any candy that's not in its original packaging. Make sure we're looking for stuff that masquerades as candy, but might be like adult candy, like the little THC-infused stuff that Tasha likes. We don't want the kids to get a hold of that shit, so look for stuff like that as well. If you'd like to celebrate even safer, attend community events like the aforementioned Trunk or Treat or going to your church. And also, make sure that we are sending these babies out in costumes that are safe and that are, are memorable. Because, you know, there's other things to fear out there than some poison candy. By staying informed 
and fostering open communication with our young trick-or-treaters. We can strike a balance between safeguarding them and then also allowing them to revel in the magic of Halloween. So what did you think of today's tips and the tragic tale of the man who killed Halloween? Send your feedback to Sinister Silhouettes Podcast at gmail.com. And before we wrap up this journey into the shadows, remember the mystery don't stop here, fam. If you've got a theory, a question, or just want to share your spooky thoughts, don't be shy. Reach out to me on our social media pages because this podcast, Chia, is all about community. I'll appreciate your ratings and your reviews on any podcast platform, but especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That means a whole lot to the system, I'm guessing. Also, look in the show notes for ways to support the show. You can become a patron on Patreon or you can make a one-time donation via my coffee page. Those donations help me buy tacos because I love tacos. Yes. Links to catch up with me are also there via the link tree. So all of that. Look for my link tree link in the description and you'll find all the ways. Catch up to me. And also from my spring store. My spring store link is there as well if you like to pick out some sinister swag. And hey, if you're enjoying these Sinister Silhouettes as much as I'm enjoying bringing them to you, make sure you hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. You will not want to miss a single fine-tingling episode. So, until next time, Shadowy Sleuths, keep your flashlight handy and your curiosity alive. This is Tasha signing off. Stay sharp, stay sassy, and keep shining a light on those shadows. Be safe out there. Peace.